Welcome to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. Danny Yamashiro here. Welcome to The Good Life. Encouraging you with inspirational stories to share with family and friends through perspectives of hope in Jesus Christ. How does God transform a student at an Ivy League school, empower him by the Holy Spirit, and lead him to serve as a pastor in New England for decades? This is the story of Dave Hill. We pause to remind you, dear friend, the reason we have the Good Life program is to share how the love of Jesus transforms people, families, and communities. Jesus loves you so much. He died on the cross for your sins. He was buried and rose again on the third day, offering God's hope. Jesus is calling you today. Pastor Dave Hill is the founding and current pastor of Abundant Grace Church in Brighton, Massachusetts. He attended Dartmouth College, where he was part of the Dartmouth Area Christian Fellowship. Dave was also one of the founders and leaders for 17 years of the Greater Boston Prayer Summit, a coalition of Boston area churches and ministries dedicated to prayer, unity, and spiritual awakening. He and his wife, Ingrid, have six children and nine grandchildren. Dave, welcome to our show. Thank you. Yes, the Hills believe in being fruitful and multiply. We have another grandchild on the way, too. So On the way. It's hard to keep track. Well, I'm glad we're doing the interview now because, uh, you know, it's going to grow in time. <laughs> Dave, where did you grow up? I grew up in a small town in western Pennsylvania. It's called uh, Dubois. My wife was always saying, like, why isn't it Dubois? I said, because we're in America, not France. Okay, so it's a small town. I grew up going to church, playing sports, Boy Scouts. You know, I was kind of like an all-American kid. Well, say more. What was it like in those early years? You were doing the things that most young kids are known to do or want to do. What influences did you have in those early years? Who influenced you the most? Uh, first, I would say my parents influenced me the most. Uh, my dad was an eye surgeon. He was the only eye doctor for, you know, 30 or miles or more in any direction. So he would leave the house at 7 in the morning, and we generally ate dinner about 6.30 or 7 o'clock at night. And he would go back to the hospital to visit people. He did a lot of cataract operations. Um, so he was a hardworking man. He uh, and I had a close relationship. He took me fishing all the time, hunting. So we're in rural Pennsylvania. First day of deer season is a holiday. Nobody goes to school. My wife can't get over that. In fact, she recently said, that has to have changed. I said, no way. So she went and she Googled it, Dubois Area Public School. She goes, no, you're right. First day of buck season is still a holiday. I said, of course it is. So, talk about the love, the love of hunting. 
Something that you grow up. Sure. You know, one of the main things about hunting and fishing for, I would say, probably most uh, men and boys is the fellowship involved. You go out, you do something fun. Uh, We were especially blessed that my dad's best friend had a hunting and fishing camp further up in northern Pennsylvania, up, up in the state game lands. So we would go there for uh, the opening day of buck season, stay for a couple of days. Uh, opening day of trout season, we're there in April. Uh, his wife always sent an apple pie. My mom would make brownies. And you just, you know, you had a fireplace. Um, Mr. Dibel, my dad's friend, would cook these enormous steaks and, you know, big dinners. And you'd uh, hear them tell stories, you know, about their lives. They were both in World War II together, so they would talk about war stories hunting and fishing stories. It was wonderful, to be honest. I'm a very fortunate person. Those conversations, those moments, I can only imagine the indelible impression that those times have left on you. Your journey to faith in Christ, when did you become a believer in Jesus? It's a good question. So I grew up going to church. If you had asked me when I was a teenager, did I believe in Jesus, I would have said, yes, of course. But I really didn't know the Lord until I was around 14. And there was a, uh, I grew up in a Methodist church. There was a youth rally for Methodist churches all around our area. So I'm guessing there's at least a couple hundred kids in this big church auditorium. And we grew up on organ music occasionally piano, and they had a band. This is like 1972. They had a drummer and a couple of guitars, and we were like, whoa, this is so cool. And each of the members of the band had a personal story to tell. So one guy was saying like, hey, I used to be strung out on drugs. I gave my life to Jesus, and now like I'm free from that. Another guy said, oh, you know, I used to get mad at my dad and say I hate you. I invited Jesus into my life, and now um, you know, we get along great and we're reconciled. I had never heard anyone speak so personably about a relationship with Jesus that way. Then the pastor came out, and he said, your life is like your home. And just like you invite somebody into your home, your living room, your dining room, you share a meal together, watch a football game, and then they leave. That's the way a lot of us treat God. We allow him into just part of our life. We don't invite people into our bedroom, our basement, our attic. He said, but Jesus knows everything about you. And so he wants to be involved in every room of your life. And again, I'd never heard anybody talk that way. And he said, Jesus only comes in by invitation. So he'll never force his way into your life. You have to invite him into your life. And uh, I remember distinctly, here it is, you know, 50 years later, a closing comment, Jesus wants to be in your kitchen closet. And Danny, the, the spirit and presence of God at that meeting was profound. There haven't been a lot of meetings I've been at that were as powerful. And again, this is all new to me because I'm just used to going to a mainline church And they had an invitation where you could come forward and invite Jesus into your life. And literally dozens of teenagers went forward. Boys and girls, 
crying. What makes a teenager cry at a religious service? It, it was the love of God was so powerfully present that it impacted us. And so I went forward. I said, well, that makes sense. I, you know, I need to do this. So I invited Jesus into my life. I went home, and my life didn't change dramatically right then because of, I was kind of a good kid, so to speak. My dad used to joke, Dave, you were the original straight arrow. So I, I wasn't involved in a lot of bad things. But Jesus started becoming real to me. And that's what really made the difference in my life. So I actually asked my parents for a Bible. Somehow I knew I should read the Bible. I don't, God just put it on my heart. And I started getting up every morning and read the Bible. Uh, just for a few minutes, I pray. And I did that for the rest of my time through high school. 14 years old, what a pivotal year that was for yeah. you. Just to hear you describe it, Dave, it's, it's such detail. And I, I could feel your heart as you speak. It's like you're, you've, you're transported back there. Right, it's very real to me today still. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit... What circumstances led you to the pastoral ministry? I'm, I'm, I'm tracing 14 years, 14-year-old Dave Hill. Then you said high school, you went to Dartmouth College. Correct. What happened to you there? Did, were there any experiences there that were deeply transformational for you during those four years at Dartmouth? Absolutely. It happened during my freshman year. I got to Dartmouth. Uh, they had uh, tables out one day for all the different organizations on campus. I met somebody from the Dartmouth Area Christian Fellowship. He said, oh, there's a Bible study in your dorm. So I, I went to the Bible study. I liked it. And I went to one of their meetings. It was uh, Monday evening. And I'd never been in a, quote-unquote, spirit-filled church. And... They just had a couple guitars and a, a, a woman singing. And uh, as they were singing, there was only maybe 100 people or so. The chairs were kind of in a semicircle. At one point, they played these simple songs. They just kept playing, and everyone was just spontaneously singing and praising God. And everyone had their hands up in the air and their eyes closed. And I looked around, and I had two thoughts. One, I thought, Maybe heaven's like this, because it seems so genuine. My second thought was, this is pretty weird. <laughs> and so that was my introduction to a Holy Spirit kind of environment. You're listening to Pastor Dave Hill. Dave is the pastor of Abundant Grace Church in, in Brighton, Massachusetts. When we come back, how did the Holy Spirit take that moment as a freshman and then eventually lead Dave to the pastoral ministry. Well, what was his major? What was he studying at Dartmouth? Certainly, he didn't go there to be a pastor, did he? To be trained for pastoral ministry at Dartmouth College? Well, we'll see what the Holy Spirit did and continues to do. AGCBoston.org. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Wondering the road of desperate life. Leave it to me. I'll lead you home. 
James 3.13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is brought to you by generous sponsors. Thank you to Coach Dino Babers and Mrs. Susan Babers, Mr. Edmund Jung and Mrs. May Jung, Mr. Rodney Arias Sr., A1A Electrician, Cedar Assembly of God, and the Thursday Men's Breakfast, Boston. If you, your business, or your church would like to support The Good Life with Dr. Danny, please visit drdanny.live. Join our partnership team. That's drdanny.live. Thank you. Listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life today. Pastor Dave Hill of Abundant Grace Church in Brighton, Mass. Grew up in a small town in rural Pennsylvania, loving sports, hunting, and fishing. Du Bois, Pennsylvania, not Dubois. Du Bois, he clearly says it. it's pronounced the American way, not the French way. He attended Dartmouth College, where he joined the Dartmouth Area Christian Fellowship, a transforming experience where he was filled with the Holy Spirit and guided by strong biblical teaching on what it meant to follow Jesus Christ wholeheartedly. You can find out more about Abundant Grace Church at agcboston.org. You're tuning in right now. Maybe you caught the tail end of that last segment. This program in its entirety, it's a podcast available for you. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, iHeart. It's available on major platforms. Go to drdanny.live to find out more about this show and other resources that are available for you. Dave, you mentioned the Holy Spirit right? in that meeting your freshman year. How did things develop further in your understanding and experience with the Holy Spirit? I visited that church a couple more times. I, I, as I explained earlier, I had a sort of love-fear relationship with it. Like on the one hand, I really liked it, and uh, the services were quite long, 45, 50 minutes of worship, 45, 50 minutes teaching. Then they had an open microphone, which I'd never experienced before. And another 45 minutes of people going up, sharing scriptures, personal stories, answered prayers, prayer requests. It was very dynamic. But I also tried some other churches in the area, and I got home at Christmas and was at a uh, Christian coffee house in my hometown. And as we had a worship service one night, I was reflecting on my fall at Dartmouth, and I was disappointed in myself. I felt I hadn't really put Jesus first. I was more concerned about studies and getting good grades. And I had a realization about myself that I was afraid of really surrendering my life to God. I had fears. What if God told me to be a missionary? What if God told me to do something my parents didn't understand? What if 
He wanted me to be out on the street corner like some of those kind of weird Christians who like tried to talk to people or hand out tracts. And I was unhappy with myself that I had these fears. I had no idea how to get rid of them. So I prayed. And I was like, Lord, I meant it when I invited Jesus into every room of my life. I'm fearful. I don't know how to not be fearful. I'm sorry. Please help me. Something like that. And I had my first really powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit. I could not even told you that was the Holy Spirit because I had no language or, you know, words. I didn't know what was happening to me, but but the presence of God came over me. And it was a wonderful experience, and I could feel the love of God. But there was a part of me thinking, what's happening to me right now? So I, I... it was wonderful, and still my own you know, natural mind couldn't fully grasp it. And I knew in my heart I needed to go back to school the next term and get involved in the Dartmouth Area Christian Fellowship because that's where people were on fire for Jesus. And so that's what I did. And so I went to the Bible study. I started going every week. I learned to kind of lift my hands in worship and get over that fear. I, uh, so that, as you read in my little bio, Jesus started becoming central to my life. Obeying scripture was becoming central to my life. Um, Wanting to make Jesus Christ known to other people was becoming central to my life. So I'm extremely grateful. How did your parents, your family, your father, the eye surgeon, respond to your faith in Christ? They were positive about it because they, in a sense... They were believers in their own way. Uh, so they didn't have any problem with that until, I guess I'll get into this part of the story. How did I you know, become a pastor? It's a little bit of a roundabout way. So my father was an eye surgeon. His father was a, a small town doctor, general practitioner. Deep down, I figured I'll be a doctor. Yeah, I was, mm-hmm. was going to ask, what, what were you majoring in? So I was majoring in biology. Uh, With the church, uh, one of the elders and his wife and a couple other people actually purchased an old farm in Vermont 10 miles away. And uh, the two families kind of built homes there, but the one family actually ran it as a farm. He bought laying hens and had an egg delivery route. He cut hay. In the summer, there's lots of people with horses who bought farms in Vermont, and so they sold the hay to people with horses. So uh, you have to do a summer term at Dartmouth. So in our summer term, a lot of us would go out on a Saturday or even during the week if we had time. If they were haying, we would help them put the hay on the hay truck, put it up in the barn, all that kind of thing. And then uh, I had an off term where I opted to actually help my friend. His name was Peter Conway. Uh, to work with Peter. Instead of going back home and working uh, like my junior fall, I was working with him. And that was fun. You know, and there's another guy in the church, and we all delivered the hay and did all this stuff together. And uh, at one point, there was a prayer meeting, and Peter's very busy with the farm. He's also an excellent Bible teacher, so he's got these dual responsibilities. And it was a bit overwhelming. We were at a leaders meeting praying for him, and I prayed, Lord, either tell Peter to be like a full-time pastor or a full-time farmer or send someone to help him. And I felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you're the one to help him. And I was shocked. 
And I spent a couple of days praying and saying, was that really you, Lord? And then uh, a guy who's kind of mentoring me, we discussed it. He goes, Dave, I think you already know that was a Lord or not. I go, yeah, you're right. I guess I do know. So that meant going home and telling my parents. Um, so now it's kind of like my junior spring. So I've got like a, a year ahead of me. So that summer I went home and said, Mom and Dad, I feel like God wants me to you know, run this chicken farm. And my parents were, of course, shocked and disappointed. And I was uh, pained by that because I had such a close relationship with my mom and dad. And I was earnestly praying. I said, Lord, I really don't want to do this if my mom and dad don't come around on it. I mean, I want to obey you. I Just please help me. You know, I was just crying out to God about it. So uh, towards the end of the summer, my dad and I went for a walk, and I uh, said, Dad, um, I know this whole farm thing sounds a little crazy. I'm really not trying to be countercultural. I'm not trying to be like a hippie. I mean, this was still like the era of hippies and things like that. I'm like, in the Bible, many times God called people to do things that seem kind of crazy, but he was in it. And I feel like this is one of those things. If it doesn't work after a couple years, I'll be happy to go back to graduate school. You know, and he paused and he looked me right in the eye, Danny. He said, well, if you're called, you're called. I'm sure my jaw dropped because my dad didn't talk that way. And so that was such a huge blessing to me and really freed me to like pursue that. So for the next couple of years, I was you know, running this farm, but also becoming more and more involved in the, in the church. So as a student, I became a Bible study leader. Uh, my senior year, they asked me to, sp- to speak one Sunday and give the message. I had the job uh, my senior year of um, closing the meeting. The meeting started at 4 on Sunday. We ended at 6.30, and the cafeteria closed at 7. So my job was to close the meeting at 6.30 so all the students to get to the cafeteria. And so the church had also grown from like 100 people to 200 people to probably 250 people. We filled the college chapel. It was just a very dynamic time. So, but that's, I ended up being a farmer for a couple of years before I was a pastor. And the eye surgeon from Du Bois, Pennsylvania, named right. Dr. Hill says, when you're called, you're called. What a word of affirmation. Yeah. For a son to hear from his father, and you heard, you heard him, and God affirmed and answered your prayer. Yes, exactly. When did you meet Ingrid? Ingrid and I met through the church. So Ingrid uh, was not a Christian, came to Dartmouth, I think it was her sophomore year at college. Uh, She gave her life to the Lord. I didn't know her real closely. Um, but uh, she went to the New Believers Bible study, and I got invited to speak one time, and she said, oh, I was always in awe of Dave because like, he was like the prophetic guy who closed the meetings and you know things like that. Uh, we got to know each other better. I was actually uh, mentoring a guy that she was dating. Uh, he was a senior. She was like a junior, and he um, went on a mission trip, and he told me it was over with Ingrid. I said, oh, okay, that's fine. 
And during the summer at a church barbecue, I heard Ingrid talking. Oh, I spoke with, you know, this guy on the phone. She was all excited. And I was thinking, oh, you're a real jerk. You know, you're just like stringing her along. So I purpose in my heart I needed to talk to her, set her straight. So then time went by. I'm very busy in the farm. I, I saw her again in the beginning of September. She invited me over to her apartment. A mutual friend of ours was coming back to school after a year off. And we had dinner, and then I excused myself about 8 o'clock. I was really fading, and I delivered eggs all day. And I, and I remembered this whole conversation. I said, Ingrid, uh, hey, I'll, how about if I take you out for dinner this Friday? And um, she goes, sure, yeah, you know, we'll have fun. So we went out. We had fun. We actually looked for a place to go dancing because there had been a wedding a couple weeks before. Everybody danced. Didn't really find anything appropriate, but we ended up talking for a long time, and she was asking me question after question about how do you know when something's from God and how do you know this and how do you know that? I was like, wow, this is an impressive young woman. Like, she's really zealous. So then I drove her home and all of a sudden it's like 11 or later at night, I haven't even talked about the whole breakup. I said, oh, there's something I need to talk to you about. And uh, she said, oh, I'm over him now. I understood, you know, I got it all. I said, okay, great. So I went home. Then a week or two later, we had so much fun. I said, hey, do you want to go out again? Well, she said, sure. So then we started dating, and um, things took off from there. Well, that's the beginning of the flame. <laughs> the flame began to burn, and the flame continues. Decades later, you married. You were married, and here you are pastoring a church, Abundant Grace Church in Brighton, Leading congregation, but also planting churches. Yes. When we come back, let's talk about the growth of the ministry. How did Abundant Grace Church grow? How did Dave Hill, from afar, come to the city of Boston? And how did God lead him to plant a church? What was the story behind it? And how did this church that was planted get established and then birth other ministries more from dave hill sharing heart to heart with us today we'll be right back agcboston.org wandering the road of desperate life famously beneath the barren sky leave it to me on behalf of danny yamashiro ministries thank you from the bottom of our hearts for listening to the good life with dr danny weekdays at 6 p.m on weze and visiting drdanny.live for more resources my dear friend it is because of listeners and donors like you that we are able to spread the message of jesus's love and bring hope to people like you your family and friends proverbs eleven twenty five says he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed Will you prayerfully consider donating to Danny Yamashiro Ministries so that we may continue to broadcast the gospel so believers will be built up and non-believers may form a relationship with Jesus Christ? Visit drdanny.live to make a financial contribution today. That's drdanny.live. And thank you again for supporting The Good Life with Dr. Danny. May God richly bless you with The Good Life. Listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny. 
a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience the good life So Dave Hill was led by God, along with his wife Ingrid, to start a church. Well, how did that happen? Well, he's here to share with us what took place and even who they're with in terms of their movement. What movement are they a part of? It's an apostolic ministry, a family of churches. He'll share a little bit more about that. Find out more about Abundant Grace Church, Abundant Grace Boston, agc.org. So Dave, God led you from Dartmouth to the pastoral ministry. Right. So I take it you finished your degree. Was it finishing the degree in I finished in, in my biology? degree in biology. I'm I'm you know running this farm. I'm helping preaching. I still close the meeting. You know what I mean? I pray for people after the service. So I'm very involved in ministry. Our senior leader felt the Holy Spirit speak to him that it was time to send people out. So at this point, our church has continued to grow. It's like People are sitting on the steps up to the organ, you know, at the back of the you know chapel. I mean, it's amazing what the Holy Spirit did. So he asked me if I would help him lead a team of people to start a church in Amherst, Massachusetts. So this is 1981. So my wife and I got married. Uh, two weeks later, you know, we moved to Amherst with a bunch of other of our friends. We started meeting uh, in homes. Uh, we used the basement of a congregational church. Uh, our leader was Dave Zealy. Dave knew a couple of young families and a handful of students who had met him over the years. They said, we need a church like you in our town. So we started meeting, and the church slowly just kept growing. Some people get saved here and there. People are looking for a church with worship and strong teaching and discipleship. So we kind of grew to like 60 or so people uh, over the years in Amherst. Uh, It was a very tight-knit, loving group of people. How did God lead you to Boston? A young woman who was uh, studying at UMass, very committed to our church, went to Tufts for a master's degree. Two years later, she finished and said, Dave, we need to start a church in Boston. I'd love to come back to Amherst. There's no jobs. All the jobs are in Boston. I'm like, Anne was her name. I don't really have a vision for Boston. I I don't know about that. I said, why don't you start like a prayer meeting every month and see if some people from Amherst will come. We had a sister church that started soon after our church in Amherst at UNH, in Durham, uh, New Hampshire. And so she did that throughout that, like uh, fall, winter, and spring. And every month there'd be some people gathered for a prayer meeting. Uh, it was probably like May. I finally drove out to one of the meetings. And uh, Dave Zealy was still our you know, senior leader. He was back at Dartmouth at that time. He said, how many people feel called to Boston to start a church? Only Anne raised her hand. But we had a prayer meeting afterwards. And again, I have a distinct memory of reading 2 Corinthians 5, where Paul writes, uh, the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And after I read that, uh, we had this powerful moment where everyone felt the presence of God that was so strong that no one said anything for about half an hour. We just got on our knees and we're praying. I don't know if I've ever felt anything quite that strong since then. 
as we're praying, I felt the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I have a place for you here. So again, here's another, another Dave Hill being shocked moment. So I'm like, oh my gosh, the Lord wants me to come to Boston. I don't remember anything else about the meeting. I drove home. It's about midnight now. I woke my wife up out of a sound sleep and said, you're never going to believe what happened. The Lord spoke to me that we should go to Boston. And she was like, that's great, Dave. If God wants us to go to Boston, wonderful. <laughs> she had a great spirit. So it took a year to kind of get things in place in the church there. But a year later, 1989, we moved. We had four children at that time. And uh, my wife had an experience. She drove into a, a gas station uh, at Fresh Pond in Cambridge. She was coming into Boston. And um, she was filling up with gas. And she, the guy was talking to her. And she was just kind of crying, you know, leaving her friends. We had this tight-knit Christian community. And she was emotional talking to the uh, gas station attendant, he went in, they had some balloons, you know, helium balloons could attract people. He cut them off and handed them to my wife and said, welcome to Boston. Wow. Isn't that sweet? But what an affirmation, you know, for her. So we started meeting in our apartment in Brighton and we had three sisters uh, from the church already lived in Brighton. We started having Bible study, Sunday service, kind of did what we did in Amherst all over again. We honestly, Danny, we didn't totally know what we were doing. We didn't go to now they've got great, you know, seminars and classes on church, how to plan church a church and, you know, seminars. stuff. Some people are much better prepared than we were. But the same thing happened. Some people get saved here and there. People are looking for a church. There's people coming into Boston all the time. So a new church can grow. So we outgrew our apartment and started meeting at uh, Howard Johnson's, which is no longer there, down at near BU. And that's how it happened. Over the years, have you sense the need to partner up or join a broader network? Were you associated with uh, an overseeing organization at that time when you started? That's excellent. So when we started in Boston, there were just kind of like um, four churches. There was a Dartmouth church, UNH, Amherst, and then this new church in Boston. But um, at that time, Kind of like our fellowship, kind of people kind of went in different directions, amicably, not, you know, in a bad way. But uh, the church in New Hampshire met a, through a, a guy of Indian descent from India. He was working in India, opening a, uh, his business. He had a business that he was opening a branch in India. He met a church planter from a group called New Frontiers. New Frontiers was based from England. And they were starting churches in India, and he was about to get kicked out of India. So my friend hired him as an office manager so he could stay and continue his Christian work. So the church in New Hampshire became connected with New Frontiers. It was sometime later, uh, I began praying weekly with a group of pastors in Boston. Uh, One brother and I actually joined our churches together in 1990 or so. And from 1990 to 1999, we actually worked together. Was this the Greater Boston Prayer Summit? That's kind of where the, the Greater Boston Prayer Summit grew out of, grew out of that. that. Okay. So we worked together. We were praying every week with a dozen other pastors. We did prayer meetings with our churches together. It was a great spirit of unity. It really felt like something major was going to break in the city as well. Uh, We did marches for Jesus. 
where we um, had uh, people doing praise songs, marching through the streets of Boston. The first time we did it, we had, I don't know, several hundred people. But then as we did it three or four more times, we had a couple thousand people. The Brazilian churches got involved, the Hispanic churches. We went to the half shell and had a big you know, prayer service. So it was very powerful. New, uh, Vision New England started a New England Pastors Prayer Summit. And that was in the late 90s. And then around 2000, uh, the man I was working with wanted to go in a different direction. So then we started Abundant Grace Church in Brighton at that time. And we also thought we should have a prayer summit for Boston. And so we met with some other leaders. Tom Griffith was very instrumental. Uh, He and I kind of worked together for those 17 years to kind of organize and lead it. And so we started meeting at a retreat center down in Sharon, Salvation Army as a retreat center. Uh, We invited someone from the National Prayer Summit Movement to come and facilitate. It was amazing. Those prayer summits would be like three days long. You'd stay overnight. There was no speakers, no agenda. The whole goal was to seek God through worship and prayer and to wait on him and to uh, develop a, a fellowship with each other from that. What did God do during, during those times, but also after those times? Residual impact right. of the Spirit, ongoing. One of the major things I believe that happened at those prayer summits was building strong relationships between pastors and prayer leaders. We invited pastors and prayer leaders. When you're together in prayer, you get to know people. Bishop Thompson uh, was a leader in Boston. He used to say, you get to know someone by praying with them because you hear their heart. Mm -hmm. And so here we're praying together. We have sessions every morning, afternoon, and evening. You eat together. So you're breaking bread together, talking. Uh, We had times where we would pray for one another. You get in a group of like four people, share what's going on in your ministry, and people would pray for you. That's, that's very powerful. And so these strong relationships developed uh, among dozens of pastors and prayer leaders in the city. And that, of course, led to, you know, people are supporting one another in ministry. It's like, I want Tom Griffith's church to grow. I want Dan Zikowski's church to be successful. Do you know what I mean? It's not, we're not in competition with each other. We're like, hey, we're all here wanting to make Jesus Christ known in Boston together. We're all here to pray about seeing the murder rate diminish. We're all, you know, we're here together serving the Lord. So it's a much uh, needed and wonderful kingdom mindset. We need to pause at moments like that to step back, to, to process, to recognize, to acknowledge what the Spirit is doing so to hear you say what you're saying is that push the pause button moment have a moment of reflection but let it soak in that the lord has been preparing the soil as it were the lord the holy spirit preparing the soil when we come back from our break dave hill i'd like to hear what well among among a, a couple of things one would be how has abundant grace grown in terms of New Frontiers, church planting, how is the Lord led in that way? And in addition to that, more broadly speaking, what do you see the Holy Spirit doing today? Okay. You're listening to 
Pastor Dave Hill. When we come back from our break, we'll talk about that. We talked about New Frontiers, that family of churches. It's an apostolic ministry where Dave found like-minded leaders who believed in both the power of the Holy Spirit and the supremacy of God's Word. The movement has a heart for evangelism, church planting, and helping the poor. You've heard Dave talk about Greater Boston Prayer Summit and the extended work. He'll share more when we come back. agcboston.org Wandering the road of desperate life Famously beneath the barren sky Leave it to me, I'll lead you home. So afraid that you will not be found. It won't be long before your sun goes down. Just leave it to me. What can we learn about evangelism? Danny Yamashiro here. Rebecca Manley Pipper wrote in her book, Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World, I once asked a woman if she felt comfortable about evangelism. Oh yes, she responded. I do it twice a week. Somehow it sounded more like taking multiple vitamins. Evangelism isn't just something you do out there and then get back to normal living. Evangelism involves taking people seriously, getting across to their island of concerns and needs, and then sharing Christ as Lord in the context of our natural living situations. For more inspiration on evangelism, go to drdanny.live. You're listening to The Good Life with Dr. Danny, a program of Danny Yamashiro Ministries and Formation Institute. Divisions of Jesus Christ is calling you. Now let's join Dr. Danny and experience The Good Life today. Dave Hill was one of the founders and leaders for 17 years of the Greater Boston Prayer Summit, a coalition of Boston area churches and ministries dedicated to prayer, unity, and spiritual awakening. So, it, it's of, of, of no surprise that I would ask him about his perceptions of what the Holy Spirit, what he sees the Spirit doing today in Boston, New England, and this part of our our great nation. You're listening to the Good Life Radio Program. Thanks for joining us. You can find out more about Abundant Grace Church at agcboston.org. So Dave, share with us your perceptions. What do you see the Spirit doing today? As you mentioned, praying for a spiritual awakening was one of the hallmarks of the Greater Boston uh, Prayer Summit. And that was certainly one of the driving goals of our weekly pastor's prayer group. One of the main prayers we had in the 1990s was, Lord, send more workers to Boston. In the 1990s, if somebody started a church, everybody knew about it, because not that many people started churches here. Well, in the last 20 years, that's totally changed. There have been dozens of new churches started. So there's, a, there's I, lots of churches I don't know anything about now, because there's too many of them to keep track of. So that's a major answer to prayer, 
is that there's a lot more uh, Christian-based churches that are dedicated to seeing people born again and coming to faith in Christ. So I take that as a positive sign that God's providing, you know, a net to catch people, so to speak. Um, there's still a very strong movement uh, of prayer. There's a bunch of us who pray on Wednesdays still. And uh, we're praying for awakening. We're praying for each other's churches. Uh, there's uh, monthly and weekly prayer meetings at different various places around the city. So for some reason, God has put this vision in lots, dozens of pastors and prayer leaders to see an awakening in Boston. Boston and America has a history of spiritual awakenings. And so we're, we're praying for the next one, so to speak. When you see signs right. of the Lord, the Spirit moving, I mean, as we speak, there have been r- reports. Many have gone to visit. It's hit the media of what's taking place in Wilmore, Kentucky, right. at Asbury University, and a history of awakenings there, a history of revivals there. Uh, and, and when we talk about the Great Awakening and the impact of revivals even here in the Northeast, always preceded by prayer. Right. And always people on their knees, always long dedicated, sometimes generations of people praying for revival. The Lord in his grace, in the midst of all the political, social, economic turmoil, how do you see the Lord working, moving, in that, through that, in spite of it. When I look back at the 1960s and 70s, so the 1970s was a time of a spiritual awakening called the Jesus Movement, when lots of people like me became Christians, came on fire for God. There was a lot of people on drugs and hippies called Jesus freaks who came to the Lord. So that was a very strong awakening, and lots of churches uh, were started in the 70s and 80s, out of that movement because the people didn't fit into the mainline churches. Of course, the 60s into the early 70s, a turmoil in our nation. And so at times, uh, I'm pained by the political turmoil that we're in now, and there's uh, people demonize one another and always calling each other names, and you're a you know, stupid liberal or a fascist conservative, or you know we have all these things that are very unhelpful. But I feel a hope in my heart that, well, there was a similar stirring and discord taking place in our nation 50 years ago, and God worked through that. So that encourages me to keep praying. I thought, well, Lord, you did it before. I'm like, Lord, send us another Jesus movement. Send us, you know, what happened at Dartmouth. Let, let me see it happen again, you know, at Harvard and MIT or BC and all these colleges around Boston. So that's my hope. And it's almost as though the Lord waits till we come to a point where we feel a a sense of despair and desperation. And the Lord, the Spirit, moves in a way that is indescribable. Because no human being could facilitate or create or lead with charisma uh, and plan a movement. When it happens, we will only be able to say, it is the Lord. Exactly. It is the Lord. Abundant Graces started 
another church as well over the years. Share a bit about that. My oldest son, from a very early age, was very spiritually attuned. Um, we used to laugh. He and his brother, his brother's like 20 years, excuse me, 20 months younger than him. Uh, when they were like four and five, my wife would put him in this big bathtub, and then she'd be making dinner and say like, okay, and David would, would baptize his younger brother. It's like, I baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ and pull him out, and his brother thought that was great. So he said, we knew from a young age this guy wanted to be a pastor. At Boston University, where he went to school, he was a leader. He helped organize uh, big worship and prayer rallies himself. And so in uh, 2008, we set him apart with about 18 or 20 people from our church. and They moved to the Fenway. He was actually living in the Fenway, but they started a church in the Fenway. And it met at a club, ironically called Church. And it was a Catholic guy who picked that name kind of like tongue-in-cheek. But uh, they hit it off, and they started meeting there, and the church grew very quickly. So it went from like 20 people to 40 people to 50 people to 60 people. It was kind of like a cool place to go, hey, go to church at a bar. For our church, you know, our church wasn't that big, 100 people or so. Sending out all our young, energetic people had a very deadening effect for us. It was very hard. A couple families just happened to move at the same time. So all of a sudden, there's only like 60 people. Worship doesn't have the energy it used to. A lot of people are really discouraged. I was discouraged at time, like, wow, we're really struggling now after sending the church out. So that was a hard period of a few years for us until we kind of uh, eventually, actually we had to move from where we were meeting in Brighton to where we're now in a community center that had just opened up. It used to be a Catholic school, it became a community center. And so they needed uh, nonprofits to meet there. So we rented an office there and we used the community room for our Sunday worship. That kind of reinvigorated everybody like, wow, we've got to like, you know, get together and like, you know, pull together so, you know, Abundant Grace can like move forward. So our, our church has regained its vitality. But uh, yeah, there was a cost to starting Fenway Church. As you speak about this cost, someone listening might be thinking, well, I relate with that. In in church leadership, there was a season of growth, and then there's a, a lean time. Yet we've we've birthed another church, or we started another ministry, and we rejoiced in that, and continue to rejoice in that, as you rejoice in City Church right. with uh, Pastor David W. Right. Hill. But you've gone through the lean times. A word of encouragement to someone who may be going through a a lean time today as we think about how has the Lord helped Dave Hill through difficult times? God's word is very encouraging. Uh, The psalm says, God is an ever-present help in a time of trouble. Uh, Psalm 34, I believe, says, God is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I found when I turn to the Lord, I get up early in the morning, and I just tell him what's on my heart, how I'm discouraged, what's troubling me or weighing on me. He's very faithful to meet me, to lift that burden off, to put new hope in me, to give me a fresh energy, even in the midst. Everything doesn't necessarily get better, <laughs> but I have the energy and the faith to carry on. 
And that's would be my recommendation is look to the Lord. Pour your heart out to him like David does in the Psalms. This would be a, a perfect time, I think, to, very appropriate time, I should say, to pray. To pray for someone as you've encouraged them in the Lord through the scriptures and through your life. Pray for that dear sister or brother in Christ. And maybe even broader than that, someone who's just discouraged in one form or another. Pray for them. Dave Hill, please. On behalf. Father God, we thank you that you encourage us, that you're an ever-present help in a time of need. So I pray for everyone listening to this broadcast that your spirit would touch their hearts. However tired they are, however discouraged they are, however far from you they might feel, I pray that your spirit would stir them to know that, no, I'm here. Look to me. Cast your cares on me because I care for you. Pour your heart out to me. I will listen and answer you. Father, you've been so faithful to me over all these 50-plus years I've known you. Please demonstrate your faithfulness to those who are listening. Either help, either encouragement. Let them look to you and be radiant, as Scripture says. Let them find a fresh energy and a fresh hope entering into their hearts. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Dave, thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for telling the stories of what the Lord has done and continues to do. Hope-filled words from Dave Hill, agcboston.org. Dear one, God's timing is perfect. And look, there's no better time than right now to share the love of Jesus with someone near you. And if you haven't done so, look, I believe this might be that perfect moment for you to open your heart to Jesus Christ. Go to drdanny.live for next steps. Find resources to reach family and friends. Subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and major podcast platforms. 1 Corinthians 3.16 Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? It's always a blessing to be with you. Thank you to Dave Hill, agcboston.org. Until next time, along with my producer and creative director, Brian Torres, social media director, Luke Yamashiro, guest coordinator, Jan Yi. I'm Danny Yamashiro. Remember, the Lord is with you as you share the love of Jesus with someone today. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of The Good Life with Dr. Danny. We hope that today's program has been a blessing for you and that you may find hope in hearing how God's Word affects people from all walks of life. The Good Life with Dr. Danny is a listener-supported program, and we'd like for you to prayerfully consider becoming a sponsor or donor. To contact Dr. Danny and learn more about the ministry, visit drdanny.live. That's drdanny.live. Be sure to tune in weekdays at 6 p.m. to hear The Good Life with Dr. Danny. Until next time, may God richly bless you with The Good Life.